Thank you, Harry and Steph and Jim, for leading us this morning as uh, Jake and Leah are away today. And uh, at this time, all the children from kindergarten up to sixth grade would be dismissed for Children's Church and everyone else. I invite you to open a Bible, if you have one with you, uh, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to start a, uh, a new series on how is it with your soul, and specifically today, uh, what are you standing on? Romans chapter 8, we'll make our way uh, through that passage as we work our way through the message. It'll be Romans 8, verses 28 through 39, which is uh, probably, if you've been in church for a while, it would be a familiar passage. Um, but uh, either way, we, we want to go past just the words, like that fireball being there, and we want to have an encounter with the truth. And uh, thanks for that uh, illustration for us this morning, Harry. And thanks again, worship team, for leading us. So as uh, we start this series, um, following the Revolutionary War, the Anglican Church, Church of England, abandoned Christians here in what, is, what became the United States and is the United States, um, all the believers, because of that uh, kind of English connection and uh, independence, uh, the Anglican Church uh, pulled out. And so in order to fill the void that was left to be able to minister to the Christians that were in the United States, uh, God raised up a man by the name of John Wesley. And John Wesley was a pastor, and he began to step in, and the Lord really used him to provide in the U.S. in the late 1700s and early 1800s this structured faith practice that developed into what we would call today Methodism, uh, where the United Methodists and the Free Methodists would have come from, was uh, started by John Wesley. And in this structured faith practice, um, so much of it would be centered around um, individual relationships in small groups, even though they would have larger settings like we do on Sunday mornings. They would gather in small groups, and in those small groups and on uh, larger worship settings, they were encouraged to ask one another this penetrating question, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? Now, this goes way past how we usually interact with one another. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? Which, for the most part, when it's, hey, what's going on? I know that, that one sounded kind of creepy. Didn't mean it to come out that way. But, hey, what's going on? Oh, you know, I got this going on today. Got that going on. How you doing? Oh, I'm good goes past all of that. When we get to how is it with your soul, it's how is it with your life with God? What has the Lord been doing deep in your life? What, what are the scriptures you've been reading? How is he speaking to you? How are your times of prayer? Where is the areas that you are seeing victory in? Where are the areas that you are struggling in? Where are you seeing victory over sin? Where are you struggling in temptation? How is it with your soul? How is it with the relationships that you have with others? Are you engaging? Is there anything that you're hiding from anyone? Is there someone who fully knows what's going on in your life and you fully know what's going on in theirs? How is it that you are interacting with people? Are you loving well? How is it are you loving your, your spouse well, your 
your children well? How is it are you gauging in the workplace? How is it at the deepest part of who you are that then fleshes out to all areas of your life? How is it with your soul? That would change a lot of our conversations, wouldn't it? If that was our question, how is it with your soul? And so in this uh, new series over the next several weeks, that is the foundation from which we're going to be building off of. And today, we're going to be talking specifically, when we talk about what are you standing on, we're going to talk about the issue of our identity, who we are, what we are building our lives upon. And specifically, we want to look at who we are building our lives upon, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week on Family Sunday, we looked into communion and some communion reminders. We were reminded in Scripture in First uh, Corinthians chapter 11 of Jesus' immense value of his work on the cross, which as we trust him and we look to him, we trust in his value that he gives to us, and then it affects how we look at others, other believers, and the value that Jesus gives to them. It's where we were looking at that topic of value. And today we want to kind of build off of that and look at the foundation of where we find our value even more. Will we, do we find it in other things, in other places, in other people, or is our value found in Jesus? The truth is, if we are looking at anything other than Jesus, our foundation is going to be a little wobbly. But when we build our foundation, and our foundation is on Jesus and who he is, and then who he makes us to be, that's where our foundation will be solid and sure. It's when we would sing hymns like, On Christ a solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If it's on Jesus, our foundation is sure. Our soul will have a good foundation from which to live. So let's look this morning at three actions when we are... Uh, looking to evaluate what are you standing on. And the first action is to see something, and that is to see that Jesus really is the only foundation upon which to build your life. There are sermon notes in your bulletins. You can fill those in if you're a note taker. The fill-ins will be on the screen. That Jesus really is the only foundation. In verses 28 through 30 of Romans chapter 8, Paul begins this familiar passage and he says, And we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, and then gives the purpose for which we have been called. For those God foreknew before time, he also predestined or determined ahead of time to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those he predestined chose ahead of time. He also called to himself. And those he called to himself, he also justified, which means to make legally right with God. And those he justified, he also one day comes to the place of glorifying, of perfecting that work. And so as we look at Jesus as the only foundation, it begins with understanding that his likeness is our destiny. His likeness is our destiny destiny. This is kind of like the big picture. If you were to build a house, it's the big picture. What do you want this thing to look like? You start with the end result. What is the end result that you are shooting for? An identity, the destiny that we have been created for is the big picture. We know that what we are 
are intended for, what we are destined for, if you're a believer in Jesus, is that you will be conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ. That is your end result. And so in this life, everything that we want to be about is how is this conforming me to the image and likeness of Jesus? Because that is who we were destined to become like. And so that's our identity. That's our, the knowing the end product helps us to understand how we shape life here now. So the point of these whole famous verses is that the believer's identity is to be molded, to be shaped, to be conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. And that God will use every event, good, bad, to be able to do this work. It's been his plan from before time. He calls us to it, he enacts us to it, and he will do it. This is where our identity is. It's the big picture we're building towards. And so when we understand this as the big picture, then we understand what to begin, how do we build our foundation. And these foundational blocks are because of who he is. And the first thing of who he is, is that he is for you. He is for you. In verses 31 through 32, it says, What then shall we say in response to all that? If God's for us, who can be against us? I don't know how many times, if you're a Steeler fan or another fan, you're like, if God's for us, then who can be against How many honestly have ever used that verse? Oh, we're going to win this game because if God is for us, oh, you're way too holy then. That's good. That's good. If God is for us, but we use that sometimes. You'll hear that. If God's for us, then who can be against us? But in the context of Jesus, this is absolute truth. If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not always, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, in the midst of life, there are going to be people who are going to stand against you. There are going to be those who are not for you. There are going to be those who will literally be opposed to you. And the Apostle Paul says, if God is for you, though, then who can be against you? And he has proven it, and he has shown it by giving us his son who is for us. Do you recognize that God loves you? You know, if you've been around church for a while, I think you'd say, yeah, I know God loves me. We hold on to those truths. Do you know, too, that if God is for you, he also likes you? How many times have you heard, I love you, but I don't really like you right now? Especially in a marriage relationship. I love you, but right now I'm not really liking you. But here's the truth of God. and He not only loves you, he likes you. He's for you. When we understand this, this gives us this exceeding amount of value. And we begin to recognize that we don't, need, we don't need to worry about other people loving us or liking us if we recognize that he loves us and he likes us. He's for us. He loves us and he likes us. So, 
I want to try to illustrate this. I guess this is the day of illustrations with fireballs and all kinds of stuff. So I want to illustrate this with this piece of wood. Imagine this is your life. Now, this would be okay to build your life upon if you're, you know, you're kind of standing on it for a little while. But after a while, that thing wants the you know, we're going to use the illustration of Jesus as he said, and the waves came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm and the house on the stand, sand went splat. Eventually, all that is going to get worn away, going to get washed away, going to get all messed up by the elements. And so what you need is you need a foundation. So imagine these blocks are the foundational blocks of Jesus. It's who he is. And so we take this... And we begin to say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to build my foundation upon you. I'm going to hold on to the fact that my destiny is you, that my identity is in you, that you are for me. I don't care what other people are going to say. You are for me. You love me. You like me. I'm going to build my foundation on what you say of me and what you have made true of me. And we don't stop there. We go on. And the reality is that he also, his performance stands for us. Look at what it says in verses 33 to 34. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies or makes legally right with himself. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ Jesus. He's the ultimate judge who died and more than that was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, he has chosen you in Jesus. Therefore, no one can bring a charge against, no one can condemn you because it is he who makes you legally right with God. And it is he, when the accusations come, he is the one who intercedes for you. He is the one who stands for you. And the reason that he is able to do that is because of his performance on the cross. We talked about this last week. The value of Jesus is so immense, so wonderful, that it is his perfect performance on the cross. His life lived perfectly. His obedience to the Father perfectly. His perfect death on the cross. His sacrifice for sin once for all that gives us our value. It's his performance. It's not our performance. And so if we begin to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you for the, the performance of my life, the value that comes from performance, I'm going I'm to get it from you. I'm going to build it, my life upon you. And so no matter what, we can't improve upon it, and we can't mess it up. Our performance will never lose the love of God, or it will never earn the love of God. We don't have to perform to be valued. And so when we understand this, we build our lives on this. And we say, Lord, it's not my performance, it's yours. I'm going to trust in the performance of Jesus on the cross. And lastly, we see in these building block foundations, we see that he is in control. He is in control. Verses 35 through 36 goes on to say, Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. 
we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. See, when Jesus is our foundation, he has us secure. He has us secure in him. And he is the one who is in absolute control of our lives. So no matter what difficulty comes our way, this is not saying that our lives will be perfect and easy because Paul says he's facing trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. It's not saying when Jesus is in control of our lives that we, we just scoot along on easy street, that there is nothing that is difficult. But when Jesus is in control of our lives, he has us secure. He is in control of our lives no matter what comes. And so when we begin to build our lives on the foundation that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ, it gives us freedom to be able to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to be in control, not myself. And when our value is not dependent on uh, whether I can control you or the outcomes of my life, now I have a firm foundation upon which to stand. And so this really is our goal, that we would live a life in such a way that we would say, Lord, I am going to stand on Jesus. I'm going to find my value. I'm going to build the foundation of my life upon the person of Jesus Christ, knowing that he is for me. I don't have to worry about what others say. He loves me and he likes me. I don't have to worry about my performance. His performance stands for me. I can't gain more of the love of God. I can't lose the love of God because it's him giving me his love and his favor with the Father through Christ. And I don't have to worry about the circumstances and the situations and the people around me. I can trust him because he's in control of all the circumstances. And ultimately, he's the one who's going to hold me in the midst of everything crazy going on. He is the one upon which we build our lives. So first action, see Jesus as that one. But then we want to secondly identify the false foundations. Identify the false foundations. Jesus is the only foundation, and so when we look to other things, we, we recognize that, that these uh, foundations begin to be false. See, sin causes us to think that we have to build our own foundations. A broken world says in order for our lives to be okay, in order for our lives to be better, we have to be the one who build the foundations of our lives. And most of the time, most of the time, we don't even realize we're doing it. Because we are very conditioned in life to be able to, to take care of ourselves. And so from a young age, we begin to build foundations that we find value for our lives because we just don't understand the way brokenness in this world has affected us. And so we want to take just a few moments. Dr. Rob Reamer has um, looked at these. There's different readings you can do on soul care, different ways, but it's essentially the same things, false foundations. Three false foundations. First one is people-pleasing. In order to gain value, you look to please people. And this is opposed specifically to the fact that Jesus is for us. It's the thing that says that our value comes from whether people love us or like us. 
whether it's our family who loves us, whether it's our friends, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our children, whether it's our coworkers or our neighbors or the people of influence that we want desperately their approval from, it is looking to people for our value. Now, obviously, the Bible talks about living a life in front of people that they're going to be able to say, wow, that, that is a life well lived. But when the motivation, when When the Bible talks about that, it's for the glory of God. It's for pointing others to Jesus. But people-pleasing turns it around and says, oh, I want to feel good about myself. And so I'm going to do what pleases others in order that I might receive praise, that I might receive value, that I might be loved, that I might be liked by others. So we build our lives based on the approval that others give us. And we will do, when we're building our lives in that way, we will find ourselves doing things that we never thought we would do. Have you ever done that when somebody asks you to do something or you find yourself doing it? Why in the world did I do that? I wouldn't normally do it. Sometimes it's because we want that person to like us. We want that person to love us. We want that person to say, good job. And we live for the approval of people. And what happens when we live for the approval of people is that our foundation will begin to get wobbly. When we stand, we might say, oh, I'm okay. But all of a sudden, people-pleasing starts to make my life a little wobbly. Second false foundation is performance, which opposes specifically Jesus' performance standing for us. It's the belief that my value is dependent on my performance, on how much money I make, on the status that I'm able to achieve, on my ability to perform on the sports field, in my job, my success personally, the success of my children, the success of my grandchildren. How they perform reflects on me. One of the things I found as parents is we will look and we will find their performance. Oh, that is reflecting on me. And so my ability to feel good about and build my life on performance is how well are my kids doing? If my kids are doing okay, then oh, I'm doing pretty good. It's a performance lie that we are believing. And we live in a culture that values performance, that rewards performance that exalts those who perform and shames those who don't. It's the same thing that happens in the church. We elevate those and we feel good about ourselves when we are, when we are doing well in the church, when we're reading our Bible enough, when we're praying enough, when we're serving enough, when we're doing the right things and not, and not doing the wrong things, we begin to feel really, really good about ourselves. We may even be able to to compare ourselves. Boy, I'm doing way better than that person, and I feel really good about myself, and I find that I'm building my life upon the foundation of my performance. Or conversely, if I begin to look at others, I say, oh man, I I didn't read my Bible three days this week, and my prayer times, they were really inconsistent and short. Boy, they serve way more than me, but I'm looking at others, and I'm seeing, wow, they do so much more, and they read so much more, and they know so much more, and they pray so much better, and their life is so much better. Now I begin to say, oh, man, I'm miserable, and I'm horrible. We start to live in shame and guilt. We may not even go to church anymore because, like, everybody else can do this better than I do. 
or we don't really fully answer the question, well, how is it with my soul? Because I don't want to look bad. Oh, I'm doing great. Listen to all the people I've told about Jesus. And meanwhile, we're like, man, I need to really start to tell somebody. It's all performance. And when we begin to build our lives upon my performance and not on the performance of Jesus, well, now, now, my life gets even more wobbly. The foundation of my life gets even more difficult. These false foundations. We can live, right? I could live like this, but it's not going to go well for me. I'm going to spend so much time trying to keep my life balanced, trying to keep my life okay, that this is what I focus on. I focus on my identity, what I'm doing. These first two were fueled for me very much when I was young. I got this message. It was not an, an intended thing. It was actually intended to be a really good thing, but the way I took it shaped how I began to live out people-pleasing and performance for a long time in my life and how I still struggle in these areas today. Is after youth group, growing up as a good church kid after youth group, I came down from youth group, and the youth leaders were talking to parents, and I heard one youth leader tell my parents, Mark is always so good. We can count on him to do the right thing all the time. When all the other kids, we got to watch out, we know that we don't have to worry. Mark is always going to do the right thing. No one knew that I heard that. But you know what I heard? I heard, in order to get people to say, you're good, you have to do the right thing. And it fed in me, if I do the right thing, and I perform well, then people are going to be like, wow, Mark is a good kid. And it took me into my late 20s, even early 30s, to realize how much that had shaped my life. How much it had shaped who I was in my foundation. Most people wouldn't even known that that was going on because I didn't do it outwardly. It was what motivated me inwardly. And all it does is it gives you, you may look great on the outside, but it gives you this wobbly foundation. You're living in anxiety. You're living wondering, am I ever measuring up? Do people really like me? Do people really love me? Does God really like me? It shifted my view of God. I viewed that I had to love God and do things right for him to be pleased, for him to like me, for him to love me, that it carried over and it distorted, it distorted my identity until I began to understand my true foundation. The third area is control. And this goes specifically against the fact that Jesus is in control of our lives. It's a belief that our value is dependent on whether I'm in control personally of myself and if I'm able to control people and outcomes. Do I get others to do the right thing? Can I manage myself? Can I manage my emotions? Can I manage my responses? Can I get people around me to do what they need to do, whether at work or in parenting or in, fr- in my friendships, where it can carry over into manipulating people, guilt people, shame people to get, you, get them to do what you want them to do. And in a world that's so dangerous, it leads us sometimes to build safeguards 
around us to try to control this world that's unpredictable and unsafe around us. So it's either manifested in people or it's manifested in the way I approach the world. And when we do that, and any of these can be, this Velcro is pretty good. All right, we're going to leave that one on there. That was a really good one. And you're going to imagine, so, so fast forward just for a second. I found that in my life, all three of these are there. And in others, I found it to be the truth. Others who have processed this alongside of me, all of these are there. It may be that some of them are stronger, some of them are lesser. For a long time, I thought, oh, the performance, you know, like until I understood about the way, I'll tell you about control in a second, the way control manifests in my life. I was like, oh, I can see people pleasing, I can see performance, but control, ah." and as the Lord dealt with people pleasing and performance in my life, then all of a sudden he was like, okay, now we're going to look at control. (laughs) Not to shame me, not to beat me down and say you're horrible, terrible, but to free me and to get me so that I wasn't like this all the time. So control is one of these things that we can end up using to build a foundation for myself. So the the way that I I finally found and understood the Lord got my attention, that control was a huge issue in my life, was when my kids began to get out amongst kids and inevitably get sick. And I could take the fevers for my kids and the cough, you know, like, oh, come on over here, you know. But if they get the stomach bug, I am done. I'm done. It's like my, the worst thing ever is a stomach bug. And, and when my kids would get it, it would launch me in this insane pattern of trying to control. And what I would do is as soon as one of them got sick, I am washing my hands. By the, by the time they're better, like my hands are so dry because I've just washed and hand sanitized and all these things. I'm working at cleaning doorknobs and and cleaning all the railings and all these things and keeping kids. Okay, everybody stay away from whoever has it because we don't want you to get that. And the worst time was at night when it was time for bed and everyone was in bed and all the kids were in bed and that one was recovering. But I'm wondering, okay, who's the next one that's going to fall? And I'm laying in bed, and I lay down, and I'm dead tired, and I'm ready to go to sleep. And all I can think of is, who is going to wake up in the middle of the night sick? And I would lay there, and my, my chest would start to get tight. My heart would race. I would hear a child just roll over in bed and go, oh, no, here it is. It's going down. And all of a sudden, I realized, holy moly, I am really got an issue here. I'm trying to build safety in my world. And, and these things, I, I mean, I laugh about them. But I think if we look at all of our lives, we're like, yeah, man, I do it that way, I do it that way, I do it this way, I do it that way. All of these areas, I, I look to people-pleasing this way, I look to performance this way, I look to control this way. And I build the foundation of my life upon my ability to handle these things. And I find value, I find safety, I find just the ability to live life based on my ability to handle people-pleasing performance and control. Jesus is the only one 
who is the foundation upon which we can stand. And when we begin to see who he is and how we try to do what only Jesus can do by building these false foundations, it begins to put words and feelings to the anxieties and the struggles and the fears and the doubts and the feelings of shame and guilt. And do they like me or do I have to do, should I do more Have I ever really gotten there? It gives words to why we feel those things. Because they're false foundations that we build our lives upon. So what do we do with all this? Come to an end with this. Repair. How do we repair the broken foundations? Two two thoughts, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Two thoughts. The first is that we, we have to exchange the false foundations for the true. Exchange the false for the true. A fancy name for this would just be repentance. It's taking the things that are false that we're building on and we're replacing them with the things that are true. Verses 37 to 39, Paul at the end of all of this says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All these things. And people-pleasing and performance and control and all of these things were more than conquerors through Christ. And then he says this. He says, for I am convinced. I'm convinced. He's gone through the process of having to think through all of these things. And he's come at the end of the day and he said, I have become convinced in my mind that the false things that I've been looking to, they're never going to hold weight. And Jesus is true. He's the true foundation. And when I put my trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone, I can come at the end of the day and say, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. If this is what we've been destined for, and this is who our identity is in, then no matter what comes in this world, nothing, nothing, ever will be able to separate us from him. He's our true foundation. He's our identity. And when we're built on him and on him alone, we can come at the end of the day and say, I don't care what comes in my life. Though there's going to be storms and though there's going to be persecution, famine, it doesn't negate any of these things. It doesn't mean that people won't be like, I don't really like you right now. Or won't be like, hey, you're not performing well. Or there's not going to be dangerous situations. It doesn't mean any of those don't happen. It just means I now have a firm foundation upon which to stand. That no matter what goes on around me, no matter what people say and what people do, I am built on the solid rock that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so exchanging the false for the true, exchanging the false for the true, is where we begin in repairing these broken foundations. And then secondly, moving from knowledge to revelation in his presence. Moving from knowledge to revelation in his presence. That's what I mean by this. All of these things of understanding, okay, this is who he is, point one. Our value comes in Jesus, who he is. He is for us. He's for us. He's performance for us. He's in control. Understanding the the ways that my Identity gets, has been shifted. 
all of that, all of that is knowledge. But knowledge on its own has to move to revelation. And revelation happens when the Holy Spirit takes it. And when the Holy Spirit begins to open our eyes to it, and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal how it's present in me, and the Holy Spirit begins to apply it to me, and change me, and settle me with these truths. It's the difference between listening to a sermon for knowledge and then taking it and saying, Holy Spirit, what does it have to say to me? And Holy Spirit, you do this in me. You form it in me. And what do I need to do to cooperate? And I found that the only way that that takes place is by spending time in his presence. I love the fact that you're here today. Absolutely love the fact that you're here today. But I will say that if this is your hour with Jesus for the week, this is great and this is good and you are going to get benefit. But to really see these things begin to change your identity, it's going to mean daily time, regular time in his presence outside of this time. Because there are things I can give you all this knowledge, I could tell you all these things, but the Holy Spirit has to take it and he has to bring it to your soul. Spirit to spirit, soul to soul. He, his, he has to take it and he has to show you, open your eyes, how this actually impacts you. You know, it's like if I want to get in better shape and I go to the gym for one hour, it's going to benefit me somehow. I'm going to get a little bit of strength. I'm probably going to burn some calories. I'm going to get a little bit better. But if I work out one hour in seven days... I'm gonna, that's about all I'm going to get. But if I go every day and I do some kind of exercise every day for an hour, boy, now when I stack that on top of each other day after day after day after day, that's where the impact and the change really takes place. And so it's in the times in his presence where you are learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, where you are, are getting to know him, where you are taking the truths of God's word and you're saying, Lord, where's my foundation at? And you're waiting on him. You're sitting, you're learning to listen to his voice. He begins to show you. The whisper of the Spirit becomes louder and louder and you begin to say, oh, I see. I see the foundation of control that I've been building myself. Where's that rooted? Why am I doing this? Holy Spirit, begin to break down that foundation and give me a firm, solid foundation that only you can build. Daily time in his presence is the place where these things begin to be identified, where the truths begin to be applied, and where he works with you to repair what's broken. I've been on this kind of what's, what it is, or, you know, um, how is it with your soul journey for 